0: welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And uh, we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at at amazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. I had a conversation with my hairdresser the other day, or hair cutter. Don't know what you call them. Hairdresser it sounds like a salon. Anyway, um, it's always easy to talk about spiritual things with a hair cutter because they just ask what I do. I say, well, I'm a pastor. You got a church home? And from there, you kind of snowball into spiritual conversations. And uh, I was interested to learn why she had kind of written off the church. She had told me of an experience that kind of broke my heart. She said, I was helping my grandfather in a wheelchair get to church. I only went to help my grandfather and I was pushing him along. And, um, well, one of the parishioners there saw that I had a tattoo on my arm. And they they gave me the kind of look that said, don't you know people who belong here don't have tattoos? Don't you know that such a thing is not acceptable in our church? So what she had experienced was that someone had just judged her Someone had just written her off before they ever took the time to get to know her and overlooked the fact that she was there helping her grandfather. I bring up this experience because today we're going to talk about judging not, and one of the things I want to be clear on is that Christians haven't always gotten it right. Can I be honest about that? We haven't always gotten it right. In fact, sometimes we put lines in the sand that God himself did not put. Whether it be about tattoos, whether it be about dress, whether it be about earrings or brandings or a bunch of things that God hasn't spoken to. And this is problematic. Because the church of God, I believe, should be the most welcoming place on earth. The church of God should have open arms rather than boundaries and lines in the sand. Look at the heart of God. And this is speaking, I'm especially speaking if you're a Christian today. Look at the heart of God who said... He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. When Jesus died, he died for every single person. God so loved the world. And this means, I believe, that when it comes to this place or really any church, we should be comfortable, no matter who comes in, to have this rather than these cannot pass. So gut check. Do you have such a heart? Would this place be acceptable to welcome anyone if they're from a different religious background? Would, would it be a comfortable place for a Mormon to walk on in? Would it be a welcome place for a, a Muslim to walk right in? In an election year, would it be a comfortable place for that politician that you know you're not going to vote for, would it be a comfortable place for them to walk right in? Would it be a comfortable place for people with tattoos or brands or different hair colors? Would it be a comfortable place for for people who didn't dress the same or maybe blue-collar workers who didn't have Sunday best? Would it be a comfortable place for all those people, whether it be they struggle with a different personality or maybe they're even struggling with sin? Would it be a comfortable place if if the murderer who who shot at prom came in and wanted to confess their sins? Would we say, welcome, murderer. I don't know why you shot at prom, but you're, you're welcome here. Would it be a welcome place for anyone who struggles with sexual immorality, no matter what the brand, whether it be an adulterer, whether it be someone who struggles with homosexuality, whether it be transgender, would would, would it be a welcome place to, to, to invite them, and would they feel comfortable here? I think if our answer isn't yes, we have some work to do in here, and we have some work to understand what it is to judge not because this is my experience. Sometimes a church can unimp- give off impressions, and, and some of those impressions may be you got to behave in order to belong. See, before you really are welcome here, before we extend our open arms, we, we want you to shape up. But is it possible that they can't shape up before they believe? Does anyone remember their life before Jesus? Maybe maybe there's some here who remember how radically different it was before you knew the Father. And maybe your life looked a little bit different. What comes first? Believing or behaving? Behaving or believing? It's believing, isn't it? And so our goal is to say, you can be welcome here before this. And this is not minimizing sin. This is not saying, you know, sin is no big deal. No, Jesus had to die for it. But it's giving off this impression that you are so loved, you are so welcome here to meet Jesus, that you can belong here regardless. Regardless of background, regardless of your sins, regardless of anything, you are so loved and welcome and invited here. Do we have some work to do as collective church bodies in getting this right? I think so. That's what we want to talk about today of a way to properly judge not. Now, um, as I mentioned in our introduction today, um, judge not, these words um, so resonate with our society. You know, many people, again, say, well, don't you know Jesus said, and these are people who don't follow Jesus, don't you know Jesus said, judge not? You know, and and many people say, "Well, you do what you want to do, and I do what I want to do, and as long as we don't judge each other, then it's all good, right?" You know, judge not. And and sometimes I use that, you know, for eating all of the Krispy Kreme donuts in the in the 12-pack. And I'm like, "You guys, you don't get it. See, judge not. Um, You don't know if I went running." And uh, and sometimes we do that for other, you know, stupid financial things. You know, and maybe you did, you know, just this purchase that you know was, you know, way out of bounds financially, budget-wise, anyway. Judge not, right? You know, and uh, and we do this to excuse a lot of our different things. Don't, don't look at me, you know, judge not. You know, kind of keep it at bay uh, regardless how wrong it is. We want to understand that idea as well. I think God's going to speak into two, two camps today. Those who love to use judge not and maybe those who are maybe judging improperly. You ready? You with me? Can you say Yeah. All right. Awesome. We are in the series, The End Commandments, and we've been learning some phenomenal things. Um, Catch up online. We talked about fear not. We talked about worry not. People love that. I could preach on worry every day, I think. Anyway, and um, catch up online. But what we're recognizing in this series is that just as Jesus rose from the dead, the same spirit that rose Jesus is alive in us. Do you know that? You have resurrection power at your fingertips as a Christian. And this means that your life isn't just about one victory someday. It's not just about salvation someday. It's about many victories. It's about the progress you can make even though you're going to be imperfect. It's about many victories as we live for the Lord and strive to do His will. He can do this in our hearts. And today what we really want to understand is what it is to judge not. So let's get into it. Um, our lesson is recorded from the disciple Matthew who walked with Jesus. And he was an eyewitness to hear this sermon. This was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the longest sermon that Jesus preached. and It was all about how to live for God. So let's get into it, recorded from Matthew chapter 7. I invite you to follow along. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the plank of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. This is interesting, and we'll talk, I can't talk about it a lot, but it's this idea that if... If we go with God's word and we try to love people and show them Jesus or show them goodness from God and they just reject it. And maybe, you know, you get the impression that they're not open at all and they're even making fun of you. You don't have to continue to beat your head against the wall. Does that make sense? You can say, okay. They didn't, they didn't get it. Because look what could happen next. Look, look, look at, at, at an explanation. If you do, they're going to trample that teaching under their feet. And look what could also happen. They'll turn and they'll tear you to pieces. Which means not only will it not be about the issue of, of Jesus and who he is, but he, they could actually now persecute you and start making fun of you because you continued on. Be careful as you go with God's word. But you heard it there. Judge not. That's what we want to talk about. May God bless our conversation. It's interesting to me how TV programming has changed. Um, I remember going up and watching Nick at Night, and there was this show called Leave It to Beaver. Anyone watch Leave It to Beaver? And there you have this idyllic family, the Cleaver household. And the Cleaver household could maybe be summed up by uh, one just glamorous lady who seemed to have it all together. June Cleaver. And June Cleaver never seemed to get ruffled feathers, never seemed to be out of sorts. June Cleaver was kind of your model spouse and your model mom, and everyone wanted to be just like the Cleavers because they were so good. But, But you know, something happens when you watch such good examples. What happens when we watch and then reflect on our lives is like, oh man, I'm not June Cleaver. And what that can do is it actually can make you feel inferior. You can actually start being insecure because you see June Cleaver. I like to be June Cleaver. I'm not June Cleaver. And so you feel bad because you see such a superior model. So today we have a different approach, don't we, in TV? Today, instead of rallying around wholesome material and models, we have real people, and here's the new version of mom. And I don't know much about the show, uh, but I do know that maybe this isn't the example mom. Um, I do know maybe this is the mom who is uh, overcoming drugs and alcohol and not giving great advice to kids. And and, and here's what happens when we see a lesser example. I look pretty good, right? When I view someone with more problems than my own, it can make me kind of, you know, console myself. You know, maybe I I got this parenting thing figured out because I'm not that mom or I'm not that dad. I wonder how much that has, you know, fed into what we like to watch is this idea that when we watch something worse we can feel better about how bad we are now that's just a hypothesis i don't mean to say i got the thumb on culture or why that happened or things like that but let me ask it you know just in general do you know what it is to try to prop yourself up by putting others down do you know that temptation and maybe it is the idea that as a mom, you're, you're sometimes insecure and you know you don't have it all together and you just love to hear how someone else failed that day. And inwardly, you're saying, see, I'm not that bad, right? Um, or, or maybe it's in your, your field of business or maybe it's in something that you strive to do and, and you didn't get it right and so you look at someone who's worse than you and um, it ki- kind of makes you feel good. Now, maybe we'd admit that this is an ugly thing, right? It's not good that it happens, but this is this dynamic, this thing that happens, which is natural, and I know this is a safe place, so you can be true in your heart of hearts. So I don't need head nods, but maybe you can relate to this more than even you're letting off. Um, this thing is what Jesus was speaking to. See, self-righteousness is this idea that we prop ourselves up by putting others down. We prop ourselves up by putting others down. And when Jesus says, judge not, this is what he says. He says, you shall not prop up by putting down. This is how we are to judge. not. don't do that. Jesus gave another example. And, and by the way, if you're a church person, this is harder for you. If you're a church person or you've been in church all your life, you have more of an inclination to prop yourself up by putting down. That's what I believe. Um, and Jesus said this parable. He, he, he said a Pharisee. Look at this example. He said the Pharisee, this was the picture that Jesus painted. Um, he said he stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. All robbers, evildoers adulterers. I'm not sure if he spoke like that, but anyway, uh, even like this tax collector, he's like right next to the dude, and, like this guy's awful, right? You know, that's, that's weird. Anyway, um, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Now, I was roaming around in my mind what this is like, and there's a Verizon commercial out there with Ricky Gervais, and he says there's this uh, wireless company that says they're four times better than what they used to be, but they're still not the best, and, and, and that's like, I'm not as rubbish as I could be, or I'm not as rubbish as I used to be, When we do this in this world, when when we find four other examples that are worse, well, I'm not the guy who shot at prom. You know, I didn't shoot a gun at prom, you know. Or I'm not, you know, the politician. I'm not so-and-so. When we find four other examples that are worse, it doesn't mean that we look good. And so don't prop up by putting down. In fact, what's interesting is that Jesus relates many times the people we're trying to put down have the same problems that we wrestle with. And uh, I just wanted to illustrate what Jesus illustrated. So I went to go to Home Depot and um, picked up Jesus' illustration point. And uh, Jesus says, you know, when you do this, what's verse 4? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Now, I can't really fit this in my eye today, um, but this is kind of a ridiculous picture. If you saw a guy walking down the street with a plank in his eye, maybe you do something about it, right? And I can't do much with a plank in my eye, can't do my taxes, play basketball, baseball, but, but here's for sure, does anyone here wear contacts? Um, would you be comfortable for me trying to take your contact out of your eye? Um, you know, come here, Molly, I'll get it, don't worry. Right, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to reach you with this thing, right? And, and, and it's, it's a silly example, but man, is it effective. Right, because sometimes we're like, "Oh my goodness, you got problems," (laughs) you know. Holy cow! If you don't get cleaned up, the whole world is going down. I wish that person in my family. I wish. I wish that kid. I wish that person at school. That person at work, man. If they don't ship up or shape out, I tell you what. And all the while, you got the plank. How ridiculous is that? Right. It's a good analogy. And, And what if? What if the reason God gives us a vision of the speck in other people is just so we can work on the plank that's right here? What if the reason you're so upset with some other individual is because inwardly you struggle with the same problem? Is that possible? I think it is. Which leads me to the point, do you know the messed upness that's technical? The messed upness of others should lead us to see our own messed upness. That's its point. The fact that you're able to see problems in others maybe just be identifying your own plank. Maybe just the things you're upset about resonate just a little bit too close to home and that's why you're upset. So work on the plank, Jesus says. Make sure that messed upness is speaking to your own. But if this is a case, and, and if we're walking around with planks while other people have specs, why do we do this? If this is so ridiculous, why do we do this? Well, some of you may say, well, Pastor, it's just easy and more fun. You know, it's not fun to work on my plank. It's not fun to work on my problems. I'd love to work on other people's problems, just not my own, so it's more fun. But, but you know, I think it's deeper than that. The true reason we work on the spec rather than the plank is deeper than that. And let me use a silly illustration. Um, the silly illustration I have is I never get dressed up to see my mom. Okay, let me explain. Just go with me here. I never get dressed up to see my mom. Um, sometimes I have a long car trip, and I usually see her after 12 hours in the car, and you're smelling, and you don't look good, and all that, you know, TMI. But anyway, I never get dressed up to see my mom. Um, I know she likes my hair slicked back and my, my hands to be groomed and all that, but I've never rented a tuxedo, and I never put on my suit. I don't even care how I smell, um, because this is what I know. Mom loves me. I got nothing to prove to mom, and I can come with my scrubs, I can come all out of sorts, and because I know I am so loved by my mom, I don't have to look good. Here's where I'm going. Is it possible that the true root of our self-righteousness is because we don't know how we look in front of God? Let me say it again. Is it possible that the true root of our self-righteousness is that we question how good we look in front of God? I would say that that is true. That is my experience, that sometimes self-righteousness is linked to our perception of God's disapproval. That maybe he's looking down right now and he's saying, man, they are too messed up to love. And man, they are so ugly, I wish they'd just leave my presence. And man, they are so beyond help. And so we're tempted to prop ourselves up by putting others down because we're wondering how we look and want to look good. So, I got something to share with you. Do you want to know how God looks at you? All of you, no matter your past, history, present. I love this passage. He says the church prepared itself like a bride beautifully dressed. Husbands, remember that moment when the bride came down? Maybe you look back and you're like, oh my goodness. How does such a beautiful creature go for a ridiculous schlub like me? It's a good moment. What husbands do and experience is what God does when he looks at you. He says, oh my goodness, you know how beautiful you are? You know how loved you are? Do you know how proud I am of you? Oh my goodness, my bride came today. My my bride is in this building today you know how much I love you? You are so beautiful. You're so good looking. You make my heart expand. You make my eyes light up just at the sight of you. That's the reality of the God we worship. And why are we beautiful? Is it a beautiful that I had of my own? Is it, a, is it beautiful that, that I'm a pastor God and beauty that, that I followed you God? Is it, is it a beauty based on my performance? No. It's way more secure than that. It's a beauty based on Jesus' performance. That when Jesus died on the cross, though I was ugly, he made me beautiful. Though I had sin that made me crimson stained, he made me as white as snow. And now through faith in Jesus, I wear a wedding gown better than Vera Wang ever could make. That today I am dressed so beautifully before my God that I have nothing to prove to anyone. I don't live in despair, but I don't live in superiority. I just live knowing that I am so beautiful because of Jesus to the God who loves me. That is you today. You don't have to prop yourself up. You don't have to look for a worse mom or a worse coworker or a worse anything. You can be secure in who you are because of what Jesus was for you. Could you turn to the person next to you and just tell them you're beautiful? Do that now. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful, you're beautiful. All because of Jesus. I see some dates going on around here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Could work. Anyway. It's a good line. Just helping you out, guys. Anyway. um, But maybe, is it possible we don't give what we haven't first received? Is it possible that if this is your deal today, What you really struggle with is accepting and living out the grace that was given to you. Today is the day to be done with unforgiveness. And today is the day to be done with unforgiveness of yourself. To know that Jesus died especially for you. To know that you can give grace because you received it. And I just hope that you would work that gospel out today and work it in your heart first so that you will be so free to give it to others, that you won't want to put them down anymore. Rather, you're going to want to prop them up with the same gospel that gave you peace and gave me peace. That's the heart of a true Christian. We have peace together. So, judge not. But do you know God actually wants us to judge? I just said judge not, but he wants us to judge. Look at verse 5. Let's, let's, let's take this further now. Verse 5 says, You hypocrite, first take out the plank of your own eye. So we, we wrestled with that. But look what happens next. He says, Then then you will seal clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you know that's the fuller context? He actually doesn't say don't judge at all. He just says judge properly. Does that make sense? And, and, and let, let me explain it by referring to uh, my guy. He's named Jake Arrieta. Anyway, and uh, Jake Arrieta had a no-hitter. Go Cubs. It is a season. Yeah. And um, Jake Arietta is so good, maybe the best pitcher in baseball, it's just hubris, but um, he's so good that others are mimicking what he's doing. In fact, he's known for his conditioning program. Uh, one, one of the reasons he's so good is he, he doesn't relent as the game goes on because he's so well conditioned. And people are picking up on Jake Arietta's conditioning and they're saying, you know, um, give us that plan, you know. And I, I hear Pilates is involved, so I'm never going to do that. But anyway, uh, that's what works for baseball and Jake Arietta. And, uh, and so many people are trying. To say what works for Jake Arietta, give that to me. Let me be the same condition. Let let me have the same plan. Give me your secret to success, Jake Arietta. I have a point, not just about the Cubs. Uh, I believe just as other people steal secrets of success, so isn't it good that we share the secrets of our success with other people? Isn't it good that if God led you to have a victory over a sin in your life, sin in your life, isn't it good if God led you to have progress over things in your life that you might just share this with others? That maybe you struggled with parenting for a time, but some things did work, and in a good way you can share what worked for you. Out of love to help someone. That if you've ever struggled with alcohol or depression or anxiety, or drugs, whatever that is, is it possible that maybe God wants you to say that victory wasn't just for you? It was for you to learn the secret and then pass it on to as many people that you could help with it, as many people that you could love with it. Is it possible that the victory wasn't supposed to be yours alone, but it was supposed to pass on to someone else's victory? That's what I'd say to you, that this is how we judge properly. Um, No, okay, sorry. Um, Is it in there? My goodness, where's my mind? Um, Anyway, so we do want to judge properly, and and yet some people may wrestle, is this really my responsibility to do? Is this really uh, something that would be helpful? And, And especially if you're a young person, you might even think you're sinning by confronting. Do you know there's such a thing as healthy confrontation? Do you know you can say to someone that they're doing something wrong because you love them, not because you hate them? That's what Jesus is talking about. It's about sharing again the success for victory. And this is our job to do a couple passages. Um, in Proverbs, it says, rescue those who are being led uh, away to death. If something you could say could help another person, you should rescue those. Most famously is Matthew 18. If your brother sins or sister sins, go and point out their fault. What do you Tell me. Confront someone, Jesus? I thought you said judge not, Jesus. No, no, no. Confront them properly. Just between the two of you. You don't have to gossip about it. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. And you know what the real win is? That they know Jesus. That you so shared forgiveness when they confessed. That they so were connected to him once again. That's the goal of any healthy confrontation. Confrontation. In fact, uh, pastors in the circuit just gathered to talk about it. Um, yesterday we had our, our, our area churches uh, from Palis and Tinley and Crete and Grant Park and we were here with our leaders and we were just talking about this idea. How can we help those who are straying? How can we help those who maybe aren't connecting to the Lord right now? And there wasn't a question of if we should do it. As pastors, as leaders, we knew this is something we should do out of love. How, how can we do it? And, and, and there wasn't really a commonality over like how it should be done. Many people had different approaches, whether it be cards, phone calls, visits, all this kind of stuff. But, but here's what we were unified on. It was our job to do so that they could know victory, so that they could know peace. That when Jesus said judge not, he wasn't saying judge not ever. He was saying judge properly from the heart out of love to help. That is what we are to do together. And what if we were able to help someone? What if we were able to see the victory that worked in us was a victory in someone else's life? What joy would that bring? That's the opportunity, guys. It's the opportunity. But uh, a few cautionary things about judging. This is a tangent. This is a tangent. So ready for a tangent? Um, One of the cautionary things is that we are to judge um, united believers. Judge United Believers. Okay? Let me explain it this way. Let's say I'm a dad and I'm on the playground. We got a park by our house. And um, let's say I just watch the, the playground for my house for activity that I don't agree with. Okay? And let's say whenever I see that activity that I don't agree with, I march out, I run across the field, and I'm like, don't you know that in our household we don't do that, young man, young lady? Now, how would they respond? if I'm not their dad. Let's say they were a teenager. They're goofing off on the monkey bars. I'm like, that's not how you use the monkey bars. They'd be like, dude, you lost your mind. I am not your child. And this park doesn't operate by your rules. Dude, I don't have to listen to you no more. Right. If Christians go to people who don't claim to be in the Father's house. And they say, don't you know, these are the Father's rules. And you better shape up or ship out. I don't think they're going to listen. I's going to say. Because until you know the Father, the Father's rules make no sense. Until you know the Father... Watching and listening and obeying the Father from a heart of love, which is what true faith is about. True faith is not about following because I feel guilty. It's about following because I love my Father. Anyway, um, we need to be cautious that when we judge, we judge properly with united believers and let God judge the rest. Look at this passage. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church, Paul said? Answer? None. God will do that. Are you not to judge those inside? To which, yes, from a heart that loves other people, wanting them to know clearly the Savior and help them out. Got it? Let's land the plane. Let's, let's close. In a close, I want to talk about something that is probably the most difficult when it comes to judging. I'll set it up this way um, you may have heard that Prince died all over headline news. And uh, at the age of 57 in Chanhassen, and one of the things they don't know is the cause of his death. But let's just say that the cause of death was avoidable. Let's just hypothetically put it out there. You know, let's hypothetically say that there was something he could do that could have avoided his passing. Now, if that was the case, would you tell Prince what he could have done to avoid his passing? Will there be anything in you that says, I want to let him know what he shouldn't do? But even if you did tell him whose responsibility is is it for his actions? Whose ultimate responsibility is it to do what was said? It's Prince's, right? I know it's a weird hypothetical, but anyway, if Prince was told what to do, and this is hypothetical, and he didn't listen, the fault lies with Mr. Prince. What if someone tells you what you need to hear. And by the way, when that happens, there is no perfect confrontation. And sometimes your knee-jerk reaction is, well, they didn't confront me right. And da 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 -da, and that's why I'm not listening. But what if you have these moments where you just know in your heart that they were true? And you might not even said it. And you're trying to escape the fact that they were dead on, right on. You know what the best approach is to when, when you're properly judged and when someone tells you because they love you and you get that? It's simple. Listen. Don't make excuses anymore. Don't try to hide from what you did. Accept the consequences if there are consequences. But you know the smartest thing you can do when you are properly judged? Listen. Listen, and here's why you can do that. Because we have a God of grace. Because you think you're losing something by owning up to what you did wrong, but you lose nothing and gain everything. Because when Jesus died, he had grace for every sin and mercies new every morning so that you can be free to fail because you know you are forgiven. This is that place of grace. Grace. And the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that punctuated his salvation, it proves that we can follow this end commandment of judging not and even accepting judgment because we know we're going to be forgiven and we know how God views us. Our Father says, man, that's my child. My child is beautiful. And so let us properly judge not. As we conclude today now, I'm going to just pray for you. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I admit this is tricky business. But let me first remove my plank and soak in the gospel that I need first in order to help the others around me. Maybe there is someone in my life that I can share the secret to victory with. Maybe there is someone I can help connect more deeply to you as I confront them out of love. But let me be full of grace and truth. Thank you for the victory that makes victory in my life and victory possible for everyone when it comes to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.